Welcome back to The Chosen Life. I'm your host, The Chosen Lawyer. And today, starting off the new year, it is the year 2023. As we launched today's episode, we made it to 2023. Uh, we have a woman known for her Tim Hortons addiction and cups. And in the life and styles of music, pro wrestling, and real estate, Miss Don Pappas. Don, welcome to The Chosen Life. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Well, we call this the chosen life for a reason. You know, the idea being is that everybody is living their chosen life or wants to live the chosen life. And when I got introduced to you through my partner, David Corman, uh, we're all in the real estate world. You being the world of the uh, real estate agency, uh, the I believe concierge at Century 21 Leading Edge. It's a concierge slash, slash Swiss Army Knife. <laughs> <laughs> concierge slash Swiss army knife in the world of real estate. And Ooh. as David got to know you, he found out that you had a previous life or lives in the world of uh, music as well as wrestling. And he said, I know a guy you got to speak to immediately. <laughs> uh, David calls me up, gives me the, the, uh, the synopsis. I go and read your uh, bio on LinkedIn. I said, we need this woman immediately. So, <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm great fun at cocktail parties, apparently. <laughs> the most important people in lives are the ones that are, are fun at cocktail parties. Let's, th- let's, let's be realistic. I agree with that. Totally. Um, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting life when, uh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, all I wanted to do with my life was actually, I originally wanted to be a lawyer. Um, funny enough, but I was a music junkie and all I wanted to do was work in the music industry. And I didn't know how, I didn't know what, I didn't know anything. I can't sing. I don't play an instrument, not well enough to get signed anyway. I just wanted to work in the music industry. And uh, luckily enough, my very first job outside of school was working for an organization that was then called uh, CAPAC. It's now known as SOCAN, which is a performing rights organization for Canada. And from there, a couple of years later, I fell into a job, an entry level job at at then CBS Records, now Sony BMG. It's been through a few iterations. Um, And I literally started working as an order desk clerk and I worked my way up and I stayed in music for over 20 years, Um, stayed with Sony for six years, left Sony as an A&R rep. Um, went to BMG Music and uh, worked there in A&R, international marketing. And then one day somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, we need somebody in PR to cover off a maternity leave. And I know you've, you, we think you'd be good at it. And I was like, wow, okay. And I, I got to admit, at first I was resistant to it. My now husband was like, are you kidding? Try it out. Like, you don't have to, like, if you don't like it after a year, you just go back to your job. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll try it. And three months in, I was like, this is like what I was meant to do. And then I had probably the most amazing 15 years of my life after that, doing PR with uh, just about every single major music artist of the 90s and 2000s that you can think of. And when that came to an end, um, Sony, or, well, sorry, sorry, BMG was sort of preparing to merge with Sony and there were layoffs and I got caught up in that. But um, I was one of the earliest people to get laid off. And part of my package was um, meeting with a career counselor who also happened to be a headhunter who happened to be hiring for WWE. And because my experience, you know, with entertainment and I understood touring and all that kind of stuff, it sort of gave me some some 
good background knowledge, even though I knew nothing about wrestling beyond Roddy Piper and Cindy Lauper. That was like the extent of what I knew about wrestling. And so that begun the the probably almost four years of working at WWE. And so I did PR for Canada. Um, by the time I left, I was doing some PR in the States as well. And yeah, it was it was a trip. <laughs> so step by step by step. So we just said a mouthful. We basically summarized Don's life in about That's three it. That's minutes. The whole thing. We're done. That's now. the whole no. thing. The episode's done. Not <laughs> quite done. You're not getting off that easy. So so we know now you're in real estate. We will get yeah. to that. We love real estate. Real estate's fun, but this is not the chosen real estate. It's a chosen life. So we're gonna work our way backwards. Okay. So first of all, if I didn't know nothing and I'm meeting you now for the first time, I already know that you're into music. I can tell immediately. How do I know this, Don? <laughs> well, you can probably tell from the Grandmaster Flash lyrics over my shoulder from the Correct. behind me, or for the fact that my dog, who's happily chewing his toy on my feet, is named Ziggy Stardust. So Amazing. yeah, definitely Amazing. a music fan. Yes. Yeah, so as I see, I said a hip hop. The hippie, the hippie to the hip, hip hop, and you don't stop. I love it. So you see that right away. You're like, <laughs> she's cool. She's with it. Love her already. So we know she loves music. So imagine, you know, for a lot of us, you know, we remember our first albums, our first CDs. And, you know, music being a passion, you know, I talk about my experiences where um, I heard The Doors for the first time when I was seven years old. Instantly fell in love with The Doors and Jim Morrison. Been a Doors fan ever since. You know, listening mm -hmm. to uh, Sesame Street Live and The Doors. Those are my two jams at the time. <laughs> They're all interrelated somehow. Trust me. Yeah, but, I get it. <laughs> so first of all, you know, must be mind blowing to even enter that world, let alone for the amount of time that you did. Um, do you ever pinch yourself thinking back to it and say, how did I do this? Like, was that real? Like, it must. Feel oh, like my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I used to pinch myself at the time. Like there was. Like, like there was sort of a peak three or four year period where I was like, I'd be doing this for free. I can't believe me that I can't believe they pay me to come to work every day. And, you know, when you're doing PR in the music industry, it's, it's freaking glamorous. I'm not going to lie. It's glamorous. I was riding around in limousines. I was on red carpets. You know, I'm traveling with rock stars. What's not to love about that? Um, my husband and I actually, during that time period, bought a new house. And um, before we moved in, it was in like a it was a new subdivision and our house was the last one built. So everybody else around us already lived there. And we'd sort of met everybody before we moved in. And I said to the neighbor across the street, it's like, okay, you're going to see me come and go at all hours. You're going to see stretch limousines outside of this house all the time. I'm a publicist. So whatever else you might be thinking that is going on here, it's not, I'm just a publicist because like there'd be nights I'd get home at three o'clock in the morning and I'd be out again at 6 a.m. to do a morning show, to do a morning TV show. The hours are brutal, but I freaking loved every minute of it. Absolutely loved every minute of it. Well, before coming to WWE, which is going to be a big focal point, because as you've known, I'm a big wrestling buff. I have a separate docuseries with Mark Bagwell called Real Mark Bagwell. We talk about wrestling and life. I have also a baseball one. But wrestling is very near and dear to my heart. So we're going to get to wrestling, I promise. But, okay. you know, I can understand the the relationship of wrestling and music as far as rock stars and coming out and the whole theme of it for sure. So media and artist relations. And I noticed it escorted BMG artists to all media and public appearances, mm -hmm. uh, planning and executing press conferences. So did your husband, uh, 
Did he have a lot of sleepless nights saying, uh, man, uh, I hope this marriage is secure here because she's around you know a lot of no, rock stars. And I'll tell you why. My husband's a musician, actually. Oh. <laughs> so my husband, my husband's a musician. When I first met him, he was touring a lot, too. So is it John um, Fogarty? No, okay. <laughs> it's John Kappas. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he's a musician. He always got it. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that before I met him, it wasn't an issue in some other relationships. But no, he he was always totally fine with it. And I'm totally fine with the nights when he's out until three o'clock in the morning playing too. I'm not like, oh my God, where is he? He has to get home right now. Now he he gets it. He trusts me and we're all good. <laughs> In in those in those early years, uh, can you speak of any particular artists or groups that you did tour with? Uh, names that we would know, and let's talk about some interesting stories from the back of okay, the BMG so days. I'm looking at I'm looking at my walls in my office, which unfortunately you can't see, but I have some of my like. This was back in the days before digital photography. So, you know, we often had a photographer around who would take pictures and we get eight by tens blown up, and I got them mounted. So I have a bunch of them up in my room. So there is a Don Don Pappas Wall of Fame. There is a Don Pappas Wall of Fame. I'm Love looking it. at it right now, and I see Christina Aguilera. Heard of her. And I see Pink. And I see Deborah Cox. And I see uh, Monica, R&B singer Monica. Um, I see Allison Chains. Um, I see Motley Crue. I see In Sync. Who else have I got up here today? Country band, Canadian country band, Prairie Oyster. Um, okay, this is funny because... I worked for BMG when I was doing PR for most for the earlier part of my career. And BMG at that point in time owned boy bands. We owned all the boy bands and most of the girl bands. So I'm looking at O-Town and Five and InSync and Backstreet Boys and Dream and all these ATC and all these, like every single one of them practically, with the exception of the Spice Girls. Um, who else did I who else have I got up my wall here? Burton Cummings um canadian hip-hop band called the rascals um let's see santana okay now i'm going off memory who else did i work with nickelback katie perry um there's been so many honestly bunch of country artists julian austin um radney foster clint black alan jackson Travis, no, not Travis Tritt. What's his name? What's his name? Really tall guy with the deep voice who's on the Tunnel for Towers commercials. It'll come back to me. Trace Atkins. That's it. Trace Atkins, who actually we, well, he couldn't get into the country because he had guns on his tour bus. He couldn't understand why he couldn't come into Canada with guns on his tour bus. But yeah. <laughs> there's, two, there's two words you did say originally in one of the first few, and you said Motley Crew. So yeah. Motley Crew. Motley Crew. Go. <laughs> uh Molly Crew, uh Molly Crew was kind of with BMG at sort of a lower point in their career. I can't even remember what the album was. It might have been a greatest hits album. And um so my boss and I were both working on Motley Crew together and mostly because everybody wanted to talk to them. There was a lot of stuff to do in the two or three days that they were in town. And so at one point um I had given we had the guys all set up to do phoners. So like phone interviews, right? And some artists, you got to sit there and dial the phone and stay on the line with them. But these guys are pros. They've been doing it for years. And Vince Neal was like, yeah, just give me the list. I'll do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. No problem. He's like, where can I go? I'm like, my office. Here you go. Make yourself at home. So I put him in my office. I close the door and I leave him in there for like an hour and a half to do phoners, right? I come back an hour and a half later. He goes off to do something else. And I sit down at my desk and I hit enter. And oh my God, <laughs> the stuff that came up on my screen. <laughs> Let's just say it's exactly what you think it would be for Motley Crue. 
I immediately picked up the phone, called our IT department in New York and said, just want you to know Vince Neal was in my office. Whatever you're seeing on my IP address right now was not me. Um, Don, I believe it's called sex, drugs, and rock and roll for I, a reason. It was mostly sex at that point. Yeah, it was like complete porn sites. Did like you grab the, Did you grab the sanitary wipes to wipe off the mouse and keyboard? Was that necessary? Do you think? I think I used Kleenex. It was kind of before the days of having like Javax wipes everywhere. But yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and there's also stories about them. I, I probably shouldn't even tell this because one of them was on probation at the time and somewhere where he wasn't supposed to be. And what's a couple stories between friends really if you think. yeah right and uh needing to make sure that the cameras in that fine establishment were not on that evening <clears throat> and we'll just leave it at that <laughs> amazing amazing and uh christina aguilera was this during the, the dirty uh tour oh my gosh right from the very beginning right from the very beginning we first met her when she came up to canada to do um, like they were doing sort of little junkets, just sort of introducing her to the company around the world because they knew that they had such a superstar talent here uh, and like wanted to sort of get everybody's buy-in to make her a priority right from the very beginning. So she came up and did a, she did an acoustic um, showcase just for the company. And we brought in like high, high executives at all the re record retailers, all the big wigs and media. And it was just a private showcase um, with her and a piano. And at that and she was this tiny, she's tiny. She's only like this big, she's tiny. Yeah. And she was only, I think 16 at the time. She's this little slip of a girl with this voice that was still one of the best voices I've ever heard in my life. I put like her and Whitney, I honestly, I put her and Whitney up here and then I would put Celine who I worked with Celine as well. I put Celine here just because I like the tone of, of Christina's voice better. It's a personal thing. But as far as talent goes, so much talent. Um, the fact that you know it's Celine because we all call her Celine Dion. <laughs> but for you, she's Celine because you're, you've spent time with her where none of us We used have. to hear, we used to laugh because when she first started working, when she first started in English Canada, and she was just learning English, right? She didn't speak English all of her life. She didn't learn how to speak English until she started working with all the English media. And she used to say it was always so cute. She used to say, I am singing since I am five years old. I always remember hearing her say that in interviews and thinking it was so cute. <laughs> gotta gotta ask you, as you're talking, I noticed uh, an interesting tattoo on your uh, wrist there. Yeah. Oh, no, that way. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you can see. yeah. And... Uh, I actually just got this this year. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, I figured I figured, I figured that must have been with Vince Neil on on, on, oh, the, God, no. on, on no 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 Vince had nothing to do with that tat. It's actually another funny well not funny but another thing about Molly Crew that day was um when my boss and I were sort of before they came to town and we're like you know every month we'd sit down who's coming who's going to work with who and I'm like okay well you're going to work with Crew and he's like well yeah I'm going to work with Crew but why don't you want to work with Crew and it was actually around the time of Tommy Lee's um um domestic violence charge with heather locklear and i was like yeah you know i'm not kind of comfortable working with somebody who might be beating up his wife like he turned out to be an absolutely lovely person that doesn't mean he wasn't a jerk behind closed doors who knows but yeah he turned out to be a very nice guy but yeah that was an issue at the time that i didn't want to work alone with him because of that and when you reflect on those days is there a particular artist or artist you're saying I really did not look forward to it or I uh, I was looking forward and this was like the best experience I had. And are there any experience you can say, you know what, I'd rather have not met them and, and not worked with them? 
Um, okay, one of the person I always considered to be the gold standard was Deborah Cox. She's a Canadian R&B singer. Um, I've never seen anybody work as long and as hard as her with a smile on her face the entire time. She's a complete and utter professional and was just a, a charm to work with. She was who I judged everybody else against. Um, was there anybody I didn't like working with? I mean, not really. I mean, there might be occasionally people who you may not have clicked with as well as you did with other people. But you know what? It was usually like two, three days. You can get along with anybody for two or three days. Right. Amazing. It's, it's pretty much. Yeah, it was pretty easy going that way. I don't think I had any illusion shot. Oh, I did have one illusion shattered. I'm sorry. I did have one illusion shattered. Um, the band. Yes. Okay. Um, big fan of Yes, as a my husband and a bunch of his friends, too, and worked with Yes. And most of the band was lovely. The bass player, bass player, Chris Squire, not so much, not so much lovely. Um, I don't want to speak ill of the dead because he has since passed away, but he was not my favorite person. Let's just say that. <laughs> I was going to say, if Chris is watching this right now, sorry to hear this for you, Chris, but he may be watching it from another dimension or something. I don't think he would have any, I don't think he would be surprised to know that people thought he was difficult to work with. I think that kind of reputation preceded him. Most difficult people acknowledge that they are difficult to deal with. They are aware of this. Yeah. And they say... I'm sorry if I'm going to be giving you a hard time. I'm sorry if I gave you a hard time. And I tell them you're not sorry because if you were, you wouldn't do it. So you do it. So your apology doesn't mean squat. Maybe instead of apologizing, just don't do it in the first place. Don't be a jerk. There yeah. you go. Right. I worked with um, Everlast, who's a hip hop yeah. artist. And um, he was having a very bad day. And I was waiting to pick him up from the venue i think it was the warehouse when that still existed back in toronto mm -hmm. and i was bringing him back to the office to do some interviews and he was running late and i'm waiting i'm waiting and i'm waiting and when he came out he came out with his tour manager and they came out to the van that that we were in and he was just tearing his tour manager apart like just screaming at him and i was gotten to the car and i looked at the driver i'm like you know where we're going we'll just sit here and be quiet and i was like oh my god oh my god and he's a big guy he's a really big guy he's a very imposing guy and he's got like the neck tattoos and everything and i mean this was 20 years ago before that was a really common thing right and uh and i was a little intimidated i'm not gonna lie and so we got to the office i got him into the boardroom where he was going to be working i had some lunch in there for him and everything and i'm like okay you do what you got to do. Let me know when you're ready to start. And by this point, we're like hours behind schedule. So luckily, you know, most media outlets, most guys were, were most guys and girls were really easygoing. Usually people weren't on tight deadlines when you're dealing with like print or radio when they're coming out to you like that and they're pre-recording. Right. So I was like, guys, you know, go down the street, grab a beer, grab some lunch downstairs in the pub, whatever. Just like, let's just let him chill out right now. Yeah. And uh, so then when he was ready to get started, lets me know and I bring everybody back up. And to his credit, he actually brought me into the room privately and said, I'm sorry. It's like, I'm having a really rough day. You know, there's a lot of crap going on behind the scenes. I, you should not have seen any of that. It was completely unprofessional. I'm really sorry. And I was like, you know what? I appreciate that. Thank you. And I get it. Being on the road sucks. Being on the road is hard. It's hard. And when you lose it, you're going to snap completely. And I completely understand. And I thank you for, you know, putting together everything, fixing whatever you needed to fix in the back to keep come out here and do this work with us today. You know, you can, you could have blown off this whole press day and you didn't. And I thank you for that. So it turned out to be a really good day and a good experience. <laughs> Got to ask you then one question as we're summing up the early life of music before we're getting to wrestling. 
But our impression, Don, is that it's glamorous life. You're it jet, is. you're jet flying, limousine right, like Ric Flair. Oh, jet you know flying, it. limousine right, champagne, <laughs> champagne drinking, you know, fancy restaurants every day. Uh should that be easy? Why, why is life hard on the road? Is there a giant misconception well, for us? Well, I, was uh, very, I wasn't often on the road with musicians. They were on the road coming to me. With WWE, I was on the road more often. Yes, but, yes. you know, it's it's hard for them. Like, I'll use Christina Aguilera as an example here. When that first record came out and then she did the Disney track and everything, that girl worked for like 18 months solid. She had like a handful of days off in 18 months. And she's a kid. She's like 16, 17, 18 years old. And she's not just working, like going from Toronto to Montreal to New York. She's getting flown all over the world. You know, she's by herself. She didn't have a one big difference between Christina and Britney Spears. Britney had, um, she always had either a family member with her or she had, uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but she was a, fr- a family friend who traveled with her often too. So she sort of had like somebody who was acting as a parent or an advocate with her on the road a lot. Christina didn't have that. So, you know, like sh- this poor girl was getting worked to death, absolutely worked to death. There was one trip I did with her where, and and she was just, she was just falling apart. I could see it. And I, I did the same thing. We were doing a press junket at one of the big hotels downtown. And I did the same thing with the press. I went downstairs. Anybody on a deadline? No. Okay, guys, can I push everything back by like about 90 minutes? Here's my credit card, you know, have some drinks, whatever. And then I went and ordered like half of the room service menu. And I said to Christina, you've got an hour off. I need you to eat something. I haven't seen you eat in a day and a half. You know, you need to eat, just rest, eat, just I'll be back in an hour and a half. And when I came back in, she like, she just looked at me. She's like, thank you. Like everybody's just working her so hard. I think, I think what happens to a lot of these artists, especially the younger ones who don't know how to have that, how to advocate for themselves is that they wind up working so hard. They don't know how to say no, or I need some time or, and then it winds up coming out as like a freak out or a temper tantrum or something. And it's like, well, you got to take care of your talent. That's the number one thing. You have to take care of these people. If you want them to continue to entertain us, you've got to take care of them. So that's my view on that. <laughs> so building that kind of close relationship, I'm hearing this and I'm thinking in my head. So you, you must develop very close bonds with the talent, especially the more you work together, if yeah. it's a three-day thing or if it's all yeah. multiple events. Uh, do you keep in touch with any? Like, do you build not any? No. no, not after I left music. No, because to me, that's kind of like, yeah, we had a close professional relationship. And for me to sort of like to reach out to them after the fact kind of felt sort of stalkery. So, yeah. But yeah, where, no, definitely. But it was to the point where, you know, when Christine would come back in town, she was always happy to see me. You know, like I used to get Christmas cards from her, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Whereas for me, I'm like, okay, so we're friends now. Let's go out for dinner. Let's do this. <laughs> I, that's just the delusional world I live in. And you know what? It might be different now, but you got to realize that when I was doing this, it was back in the days, like before everybody was texting and before social media. And, you know, now it would be much easier to stay in touch with people like that. Right. Like, but, but then it was kind of like you went through management. And if I actually got, like, if I got an artist cell number, oh, you better believe I was going to protect that with my life. And I wasn't going to abuse that. Because there were sort of, there were steps and there were, you know, layers of that onion that you had to peel back to go, to get things done and to go around the, to go around like the U.S. publicist or to go around the manager, to go around all those people, all those gatekeepers wasn't going to get you, wasn't going to get you any favors in the long run. It might work once, but then they'd shut you down later. (laughs) There's only one rock star I ever met for any kind of period. And that was Lenny Kravitz. Nice. 
Yes, I uh, skipped high school. Mm -hmm. It was grade 10. And I uh, stayed the whole afternoon in the rain outside of the time. Sam, the record man, he was. Oh, my doing God. It. I was going to say it wasn't much music, was it? Because I have a funny Lenny Kravitz story, too. But go on. <laughs> so I'm, I'm lined up outside of uh, Sam, the record man, with his records back then. And yeah, it was a famous yeah. record store back in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm in line for four or five hours and you can't go to the bathroom or you lose your spot. No, no, no. You're stuck out there. <laughs> so as I'm in line, we're about to get there. And somebody's reading off like unknown facts about Lenny Kravitz. And the guy in front of me says, hey, did you realize that Lenny doesn't wear any underwear? And I'm like, no, I did not. Uh, thanks for sharing that. So anyways, I got that in my head. I don't know and how, but I knew that. <laughs> funny, apparently everybody knew that but me. Okay. So, so I come to meet Lenny. Lenny and I are talking. I told him about, you know, lining up and everything. Anyways, turns out he was uh, he was the main act that night. Uh, Blind Melon was opening for him at the time, if you remember uh, them. Yeah. One of my favorite bands. And I told him I love Janet Blind Moon Melon. and I shared a birthday. No way. Yeah, Shannon Hoon oh. had the same birthday as me. <laughs> see, you see how the universe kind of works together there? Yeah, so totally. I really wanted to go, but I couldn't afford it at the time. I'm a kid in high school, so I'd not go. And I told Lenny that, and I said, it have been my dream to see the two of you, but it didn't work out for me. And he said to me, I just gave away the last ticket. Otherwise, I would have given it to you. And, <sighs> and, and I said to him, even as a young kid, I said, I don't really know if you're telling the truth or not, but it sounds like you are. And even if not, you sound very genuine about that. And just the fact that you'd even go to the point of saying that to me, you're a good guy. And yeah. we ended up talking for like 10, 15 minutes. And they're like telling him, we need to move this along. Got a line. Move, move. Yeah, I used to be the person who moved the line. I, I totally know what was happening to you. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm talking to him right now. So. Oh, that's awesome. So that's an amazing story. And you know what? Any, I've never heard a bad story of Lenny Kravitz. He seems like a really chill guy that I've like, you walk down the street, you knock on his door and you're like, hi, I'm your neighbor. I need some sugar. He would like invite you in for dinner. Yeah. Like that's the kind of guy Lenny Kravitz is. Nice. Actually, okay, so here's my Lenny Kravitz story. And I'm wondering if it was the same tour. Um, I was working with NSYNC and it was, oh God, one of NSYNC's first trips to Canada. And like they blew up right out of the gate. Like they came to Canada on a Thursday, I think. No, I think it was Wednesday. And the record came out. The record came out on Tuesday. They were here Wednesday. The record went gold on Friday. Like it was that, like it instantly blew up. And um I was taking them to much music, which is why it might have been the same trip. I was taking them to much music and we got stuck in traffic on the Don Valley Parkway. For those of you not in Toronto, it's like the main north south artery and it's ridiculous. Horrible. And we got stuck in traffic and we were stuck on the parkway for like 90 minutes and we couldn't move. Like it's called the Don walk. Valley parking lot, actually. Yes. You, yes. And, like, when, and you know, with any freeway or highway, once you're stuck, you're stuck. You you're can't, stuck. if you're not anywhere near an off ramp, you are stuck. And so I'm, you know, I'm calling the floor director at Much Music and she's like, where the hell are you? We're live. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we're stuck. Like, unless you can send a helicopter to land here, we can't get there until we can get there. So just take it easy. So we were an hour and a half late for a live walk on at Much Music, but Letty Kravitz was there the same day and he got to his appearance, which was supposed to be after hours on time. And so his car pulls up in front of Much Music. There's 500 screaming girls outside who freak out when this car pulls up and they're screaming and they're yelling, they're losing their minds. And Lenny Kravitz steps out of the car and they all stop screaming because <laughs> they were there for sync. And I, to this day, feel terrible about that. <laughs> I'm sure he found, I'm sure he found it quite amusing. He actually, from what the floor director told me, after she finished yelling at me, she's like, actually, he was quite cool about it. And I'm like, oh, thank God. She's because his first thought was, this is not my usual fan base. Like what's going on here. Right. <laughs> 
but yeah. <laughs> then I got to ask you with the boy bands and girl bands, because I have one favorite boy band. I will admit it uh, back in the day. I want to know if you did work with them. Soul Decision. Oh, you know what? I didn't, but uh, Soul Decision Faded is freaking awesome. Rated is one of the top 10 pop songs that's been written in this country, as far as I'm concerned. Um, They're a national Soul treasure. actually killed me, though, because I was working with a band called McMaster and James for about six months leading. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, leading up to that, working my butt off with McMaster and James and any traction we were it starting sounds like, to get. It sounds like a whiskey, sounds like a whiskey company. I know. But um, yeah, we were starting to get traction with them. And then Soul Decision just wiped us off the map. <laughs> Soul Decision. So that was that... a great song. It, they know what, and uh, they should still keep going, but, uh, you know, life takes their directions as your life took its direction because, you know, you're, you're jet flying with, uh, Molly crew and Christina and Celine and, uh, knock, knock on the door. Who's there. It's the world of professional wrestling and, you know, Roddy Piper and, you know, Cindy Lauper. And you're like, all right, I'll jump in there. So how did you enjoy the circus and the male soap opera that is known as professional wrestling. I got to tell you, circus is a very accurate description, both uh, on and off camera. <laughs> um, it was weird. It was so weird. And it was, I, I started working there in February. And the very first day I was there, I was supposed to go out for dinner with, I can't even remember who it was, but there was a wrestler in town that day. And we were taking him out for dinner with like, some big way from Rogers or something like that. And it, there was a snowstorm and it was just like the most surreal day. It's like, there's the kind of like, it was like today for those of you who don't know, we're taping this in December in the midst of the storm of the century, right? It's 2023 Dawn. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Go back in time. <laughs> um, Fine. It's actually almost Christmas Eve and it is snowing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. We tried to fool them. We're not fooling anybody. Later. All right. But it was like, okay, what the heck am I doing? Why am I here at this dinner? I don't even know any of these people, right? Like, okay. Um, my very, I started working there in February and Russell made The year is 2004, I believe. Four. Yeah. Sears yes. 2004. Yeah. Yes. And yes. so WrestleMania is always like the beginning of March, right? WrestleMania, ironically, is always or used to always be the same night as the Juno Awards. <laughs> Which, I mean, I was always working the Juno Awards. Which no wrestling fan ever knew. The Juno Awards is the Canadian equivalent of the Grammy Awards. Yes. Yes, uh, so, very big deal. So our, so our international viewers that are watching this right now all over the world, including the United States, are saying, what the heck is a Juno? It's a yeah. Grammy in Canada. It's a Grammy in Canada, for it's sure. It's like kilometers and, and miles. The reason, it's also the reason why when I went to WWE and they were complaining about the fact that they never got great coverage for WrestleMania, and I looked at the calendar and I said, well, because it's the same night as the Juno Awards, which is kind of a big deal in Canada. That's why you're never getting that great medium coverage. <laughs> was it WWF um, at the time? Or was no, it, w it was E when I started there. It, it was, was, I think, the a couple of years after the whole Get the F Out. They already yeah. got the F out? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. now they which, were done. by the way, is a great marketing campaign. <laughs> well, it's amazing when you go back into the folklore because Vince McMahon Sr., you know, had WWWF. Yep. Vince Jr. shorts it to WWF. The World Wildlife Fund is not really thrilled with this. No, don't know how anybody can make that misconception. I and know. they're like, well, you know what? I want to get away from professional wrestling. We are sports entertainment. Yeah, yes. Sports entertainment. I forgot about that. I will yes. say this, though. At the time I worked there, WWE was what considered to be one of the top 10 most recognized brands in the world. 
Still is, I think. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, coming from music, we never worried about the company. We never talked about, you know, I work for Columbia Records or Epic or Arista, except maybe if we're going to talk about Clive Davis. We didn't talk about the label. We talked about the artist. Right. So that was that was kind of a switch for me to have to learn to talk about the company, have to learn to talk about Raw and SmackDown and trademark protection and, you know, all those kinds of things. So that was that was a bit of a a learning curve for me. But, you know, so I start in February. I kind of get thrown right into getting prepped for WrestleMania. The very first show I ever attended was WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden. (laughs) And I remember you'll love this. I remember sitting there in the afternoon watching um some of the sound checks and watching undertaker was coming back he was returning from the dead and i remember sitting there watching them block out and rehearse undertaker's entrance by myself up in the cheap seats and msg thinking to myself wow there are people who would give their right arms to be sitting here watching this i would give a kidney for that dawn yeah 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 it was kind of my lord and don't understand the mecca a Madison Square Garden. Well, yeah. Like, talk the, about that the being my Mecca. first show. WrestleMania 20 at MSG. Like, that's kind of... I, <laughs> I grab I grab my son. I grab my nephew. This was a few years back, maybe around 2019, I believe, and I'm mistaken. And I said, guys, we're going to go to Madison Square Garden, and we are going to watch professional boxing. Anthony Joshua is going to come from the U.K., and defend his belts. He was supposed to fight a different guy, uh, but he got busted for drugs. So they brought a last-minute guy named Ruiz, Andy Ruiz. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch this boxing match, guys. The beat in Madison Square Garden for this and any kind of event is epic. Yeah. And we watched one of the biggest, if not the biggest, upsets in professional boxing history in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So no matter where you are in the world and no matter what you are watching, when it's in Madison Square Garden, it's no, huge. Yeah. yeah. But Madison Square Garden has a very special relationship with professional wrestling because back in the day when Vince Sr. was controlling things and it was a territorial base, they were based out of the New York area. So Madison Square Mm -hmm. Garden was their territory. So there's always a very special place in WWE's heart for Madison Square Garden. And MSG, it's it's iconic on its own. But it's so ugly from the outside. You'd never guess it. Oh, it's ugly. It's ugly from the inside, too. It's old and ugly and nasty. But, I mean, it's an iconic building, right? So, yeah, yeah, that moment was pretty huge. It was pretty, wow, this is a big freaking deal to be here, right? And then from there, um, that was the night that Chris Benoit won the title. So, from there, we go into, I can't remember the name of the next pay-per-view. They've they've changed them drastically. Royal Rumbles before... Royal Rumble, sorry, right before Royal Rumble. Then you got summer. Then you got summer. Then you got Summer Slam. Summer Slam is August. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's one of them in the middle. I'm trying to think of. Well, which there's one. one every month, right? There's a pay per view every yeah. month. Was it one, one? Was it one a month back then as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. But back then, like, like Hell in a Cell, you had uh, In Your House, uh, all that. Yeah, kind of I don't stuff. remember. Anyway, whatever yes. it was, the first mm-hmm. one after that was in Edmonton, yes. which is Chris Benoit's hometown. Yes. So I literally, like, right from the get go, got thrown in. Okay, that's it. This is what this is the like. This is your priority right now. <laughs> Chris Benoit, Edmonton pay per view, blah blah blah. So like, right from the get go, got thrown right into the wolves. So yeah, that was the first. Madison Square Garden WrestleMania was the first pay-per-view I went to. We didn't really do much there because I didn't really, you know, I was kind of learning the ropes and everything. But yeah, the first one in Edmonton was the first one that was kind of like my show to run. Yeah. So I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you just because he is who he is and wrestling is what it is. 
So in the news right now, there's talk that I don't know how much you've been following or not, but Vince McMahon obviously had his uh, retirement or he stepped away. It was uh-huh. his time. Uh-huh. There's other things that went along with there, things in the news as far as what he's done or hasn't done or alleged to be done. But, uh, you know, Vince never had that kind of a stellar reputation anyways. But there's talk now Vince is saying, hey, I think everything's blown over. I think I should come back. And wrestling fans are up in arms. They're saying, please stop killing our product. Triple H, his son-in-law, Hunter Hearst Hemsley, Paul Levesque. He's awesome. He's awesome. Everybody says he's awesome. He's the one who helped create NXT. And wrestling is now in its new golden age, Don, because since Uh Triple H has taken over, since Vince has left, the product has been much better. A lot of people have been rehired, rebranded. We are all loving life as wrestling fans. And Vince comes in and says, you know what? I think I'm going to put the kibosh because that's who I am. So I got to ask you, what is Vince really like? Behind Vince like, is like exactly what you think Vince is like. Is he is he the Mr. McMahon character? Does he walk? He's in? not really the. He's not the. No, he's not. That's not fair. He's not. He's um, he's very, very calculating. He's very smart. He's very direct. He's very. Um, I didn't have a lot of direct interaction with Vince, but for example, there was one uh, interview that he was doing for, I want to say Sportsnet. And it was either SportsCenter or TSN. And um, it was, there had been a lot of, um, uh, a lot of steroid controversy at the I time. I think it was off the record for TSN at the time. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it probably was. Yeah. It was, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. It was. And I was in the green with green room with him before the interview. And I said, okay, I have the list of questions. And he said, put it away. I said, you sure? And he's like, yeah. I said, Brett, steroids. It's like, nope, put it away. I'm like, okay. And I had a lot of respect for somebody who was like willing to go into a live interview, like live on live TV. And like, he knows his shit. I'm sorry. He knows his stuff. Yeah. He knows his, he knows his positions because he truly embodies that company. He really, truly does embody that company. Um, I think, and this is just me talking. I think that he failed wrestling by not taking the threat of MMA seriously. And I say this as somebody who came from an industry that got uh, hammered by Napster. And I came from music that wasn't taking the whole streaming thing seriously. And that, you know, did a lot of damage to the music industry. It decimated the music industry. And so when I went to WWE and I started seeing like the numbers are dropping and people are like, oh, yeah, we're losing our viewerships and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, what are we doing about it? You know, like my first thought was we should all be going to Vegas and going to an MMA event and we should be seeing how they do it and comparing it to what we're doing. Right. But at WWE and Vince's world, nobody wants to hear that. Vince is going to do what Vince is going to do. And he doesn't want to know or think or see anything else that's going on outside. That was the impression I got. Anyway. What, so what, what, to hear that Hunter has been doing a great job with the company, I love that because I really love him. He's a super smart guy. I really, really ha- I liked him, had a lot of respect for him. And yeah, I'm not surprised that Vince can't take a seat. <laughs> it's his he, life, right? It's his blood. <laughs> but Hunter is just doing such a good job. It's it's renowned for this. And, you know, there was a picture not too long ago in the uh, going around that uh, there was an MMA event going on and uh, Hunter's there, Stephanie's there, Tony Khan's there. Uh, Nick Khan, sorry, Nick Khan, uh, Tony Khan is from AEW. So um, they're all there and they're showing their faces as they should, you know, and creating that kind of 20 years too late. But, you know, the publicity part of it, you know, you have Hunter and you have Stephanie, but you have the black sheep, Shane, 
Yet Shane is the one who came to Vince and said, uh, there's an opportunity. We should be buying this thing called UFC and we could do it for a pretty good price. And Vince like, get rid of it. No, get get that stuff out of my face. For, for as cold and calculating as Vince is, Shane is the complete opposite. The first time I ever saw Shane McMahon was backstage at a show and he was like, he was tippy-toeing around because he was going to sneak up on somebody and scare the crap out of them. And he saw me watching him. He's, he's laughing. He's like, and, you know, like, it was so cute, right? It was so cute. It was so friendly. It was so approachable. And then, like, Stephanie and her dad are very much alike. And Shane and his mom are very much alike. In my Shane, Shane being Shane O'Mac, as we know him. Shane right. O'Mac. You know, Shane O'Mac. Here comes the money. Yep. And, uh, you know, listen. Uh, forgive my ignorance here. Does he have anything to do with the company anymore? So the rumors go that he was a part of Royal Rumble in 2022. So this year's January, February 2022 Royal Rumble. Mm -hmm. And he was in charge of the booking. He booked himself as one of the later numbers. Really? And it came off perceived so badly that apparently Vince fired him on the spot because he kiboshed Royal Rumble so bad. And we have not heard from Shane O'Mac since. And we love Shane O'Mac. We miss Shane O'Mac. We hope that they're able to patch things up. I have one thing, one gimmick I did yes. love from Royal Rumble. That, or was it Royal Rumble where they do the Money in the Bank match? Money in the Bank, I, money in the bank is Money in the Bank. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that Money in the Bank match. I, I really, they started that, I think, when I was working there. And I really like that yeah. gimmick a lot. We, and and that, that was the other thing about wrestling was that wrestling is a whole different language, right? <laughs> it's a whole different thing. And people are talking. I'm like, I don't know what people are talking about half the time. So... One of the things I did was I made friends with a lot of the guys who cover wrestling. So I found it like, you know, built that network of net wrestling reporters and stuff like that. And if they were local, if they were in Toronto, I'd like, hey, can I take you out for dinner? Can I buy you a beer? And just like, Sorry. what book should I read? How do I learn all this? Like, what do I do? How do I figure this out? Right. And that's what I did. So because I, I needed to learn and understand the business because it, don't forget it also has its own language too, right? <laughs> thousand percent a thousand percent and we're gonna talk about, we're talking about Vince McMahon and talk about his follies you know I think it was a genius that he was able to go scoop up WCW at the time which was their biggest competitor almost knocked yep. them out but what I don't like you know I give the example of let's say somebody that buys they don't like their neighbors so they buy their neighbor's house and then they burn down the house just to spite them yeah if Vince would have kept WC go, WCW going like as its sister company with com a competitor I think it would have been the smartest thing. He wanted to bury it just to spite them in the face, but you I, had a lottery ticket. Why would you burn that down? You it already had separate brands. You could have kept it. Like you already had Raw. You already had SmackDown. And then what was the other one? What was the one they launched when I was there? Oh, shoot. I don't think it's around anymore. The hardcore one. Um, Wait, ECW? Yes, ECW. Yeah, yeah that, that was ECW. another one that, got, that was a failed operation. WWE buys them out and then yep. they eradicate it. Well, they they kind of had it for a little while. We did run ECW separately for a little while, but it never got the attention. I, I mean, granted, I don't know if it would have had the same commercial success anyway, just because of the nature of the product. But yes. I never really felt like it got the shot that it deserved. But it, but yeah, to your point, we already had brands, right? There's already brands. He did bring Eric Bischoff back when I was working there, though, because I did fired do, I him. did a media tour with Eric Bischoff. That was actually a lot of fun. And brought him back. And fired him again just to keep showing this. So Eric now is doing podcasting and he's off into his own safe little world. Paul Heyman is the man who had created ECW. Yeah. He went under. Paul yeah. Heyman is, is around. He is now the uh, special counsel to the tribal chief, Roman Reigns, the head of the table, the undisputed <laughs> heavyweight champion of the world, the head of the bloodline. 
And Paul Heyman is a genius on the mic. He brought Brock Lesnar to his. Oh glory. yeah, he was a genius on the bike yes. for sure. He was. Yeah. And and uh, in person is Paul Heyman the same way as when you when you see him on TV? I didn't. I only met him a couple of times at WrestleMania events because every year at WrestleMania, the whole company comes to WrestleMania. Everybody on the roster comes to WrestleMania. And most of the employees, like I'd say probably 80% of the company's employees come to WrestleMania as well. So a lot of people that you, and I mean, I got to meet a lot of the talent Nate, by, just by the nature of what my role was within the company. But a lot of the guys, like, you know, maybe the sales guys and stuff, they didn't necessarily get to meet a lot of the talent. So it was a really good opportunity for them to meet everybody as well. Um, so yeah, I met Paul Heyman a couple of times at WrestleMania and was it Heyman who was good friends with Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. I would, I wouldn't be surprised if Billy Corgan yeah, ended up. Billy, Cause Billy Corgan was always there. And I think he was there as Heyman's guest. Yeah. Because Billy Corgan ended up going and purchasing the NWA. So the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan was a giant wrestling fan working yeah. with impact TNA at the time as a writer goes and purchases the NWA, which is a known brand, but was not doing much. And he's been running that for several years. Really? <laughs> and, uh, under YouTube, uh, mostly that's where they show their their product. It's like a old school, old feel, little uh, studio tapings. And his him and his greatest star, Nick Aldis, they just had a giant blowout. Nick is now a free agent. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. Billy Corgan <laughs> is very much in the world of wrestling. He's running his own wrestling organization. And a big shout out to Billy if he's listening to this. Oh, there you go. Fun. That's so much fun. You yeah, the know. whole the whole soap opera part of it was always interesting. <laughs> the best part. So if we're going to say the world of music and we say Motley Crue, right? Right. If we're going to take the world of wrestling and we're going to say, what's the clue to Motley Crue? It's got to be the nature boy, Ric Flair. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So yeah, I loved Rick. I had a great, I, I worked with Rick a couple of times. I had him in Toronto for, um, I think it was like a two or three day promo trip. We got on like a house on fire. We just hit it off immediately. Um, actually when I left the company, I moved a few months after I left the company and I only kept two pieces of WWE memorabilia from my time there. One of them was Ric Flair's book. And the other one was, um, it's a picture of Roddy Piper, Mean Gene, and Bobby Heenan throwing out the first pitch at a baseball game. That I, that I took him to. I kept that as well. But yeah, Ric Flair's book. And he was in town to promote his book. And when I asked him to sign it, it was funny because when I asked him to sign it, I apologized because the back few pages of it were all like wrinkled. And he was like, what happened to it? I was like, oh, I was finishing it when I was sitting, like finishing reading it. And I was sitting outside and, you know, my kid sprayed me with the hose. The book got wet and he just closed the book and he looked at me. I'm like, oh, my God, no, he's offended that I let the book get wet or something. And he's like, wow, you're the only person I know who's actually read the whole thing. <laughs> I got to tell you, Don, that when I was uh, training to go into professional boxing, I was going to do a charity fight. So two years I'm training. Do not end up doing that going to bodybuilding and stuff because it's a lot safer than boxing was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> While I'm on the treadmill, I'm supposed to be watching boxing matches and kind of picking up pieces. I like watching Ric Flair rants and watching Ric Flair taping his rants. And I, I don't know if there's ever been and there will ever be another speaker like Ric Flair. The stuff that he comes up with on the fly, oh he is the best. And the one one rant, which uh, there's, there's on YouTube, which was hilarious to watch, so it's a whole compilation of rants, right? So they would pick the different topics and then they would show the rants in sequence. So for example, you talk about his watch. Jonathan, they're called promos, not rants. 
<laughs> okay, we can call promos, but when it's Ric Flair, it's a rant. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> so he'll talk about his gold watch, and he's like, I got a gold watch, gold watch. I bought in New York City. It's 10,000, 8,000, 15,000. Like you can see all those things. And then he's like, another one about his house. I got the biggest house, the biggest house on the biggest mountain, on the biggest side of town. Million dollars, two million dollars, three million dollars. And it, it you know, the, all the numbers, you know, and everything of, of that he, he pro- talks about his Crocs, talks about his suits, custom made suits, talks about jet flying. And he does this everywhere he goes. So they took the little segments, and it's amazing how he keeps embellishing it and keeps yeah, moving no, along. Yeah, he's the best. And you know, he's like, here's a great Ric Flair story. So I worked with him for like these three days. We do all kinds of stuff around the city. We have a great time, and we're done. It's like Thursday afternoon at like four o'clock or something. He's not flying out until the next morning, and we're done. And I'm like, okay, so like, what do you want to do? He's like, he looks at me. He's like, do you have anything to do? And I'm like, well, no. Like I was just gonna go home, but that's about it. And he's like. Can we go have dinner? And I'm like, sure. So we go out for dinner and it's a beautiful summer night. And so we go sit at um, a restaurant in downtown Toronto called Club Lucky, which is right downtown. It's got a nice little patio. Wait, wait you went to a restaurant called Club Lucky with Ric Flair? With Ric Flair, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. All right, continue. So we're sitting there. You know, we have a beautiful steak dinner. We drink a few bottles of wine. We have, and by this point, we're off the clock, right? So we're like, we're just having this great personal conversation. It was wonderful. When the bill came, I, you know, I, I go to pay the bill and he fought me over that bill for like 15 minutes. It was, it was epic. <laughs> Cause I'm like, dude, we're working. He's like, no, we're off the clock. And I'm like, dude, I'm company. I should pick this up. He's like, I invited you for dinner. You're my friend. I'm picking this up. And this went back and forth for literally, it had to be at least 10 minutes. And finally the waitress, she's just like standing there and she's like, I'm just going to close my eyes and grab a card. And that's what she did. But it was so like, his insistence on buying me dinner and you know when you're the publicist and you're the one with the expense account that really rarely happens right that you're expected to pick up the tab for everything because it's a company thing but he insisted on buying me dinner to thank me for the work i had done for him and that really meant a lot to me it was really sweet he was also um there's a wrestling writer in Edmonton who's pretty connected still for a long time afterwards. I don't know if he still is with a lot of the guys. And for like a year or two after that, I guess every single time Flair was in Edmonton for a reason and he happened to meet up with this person, my name would come up in a conversation somehow. And at like the next morning I'd wake up, I'm like, oh, I have a voicemail from 3 a.m. And it'd be like, woo! <laughs> kind of so, awesome. so what we see on TV with Ric Flair, the way he dresses and the way he talks, that is real life? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. There's yeah. a there's a promo for the WDB network right now in between episodes of Raw and SmackDown where they're promoing Ric Flair. And Rick is saying the Ric Flair was not a character. It was a lifestyle. Yeah, and it, I believe that. And I found that with a lot of the characters. I found that with a lot of the guys that their most their characters often seem to be built around some some real part of their personality. You know, and I, I think that the ones where it wasn't, they didn't ring true. And I think that a lot of the time, those might not have been the characters that were terribly successful. But like an example, like, for example, The Undertaker, Mark Calloway, apparently he always stayed in character, even off camera. Yeah. Like, I never I mean, spoke to him. Never spoke to him. And he, and, he, and, he, and he made sure when he was out in public and everything else, he didn't want to lose the mystique of the character. Yeah. The greatest character I think that they ever came up with, Undertaker was really good. I like the Million Dollar Man one a lot. Yeah. And they flew Ted DiBiase down to Connecticut. They made him sign an NDA. They presented him to the character and uh, they put him in character. He was supposed to ride in limos, hand out money, and they're supposed to, so fans would see this. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know who was the original candidate for the Million Dollar Man? Was that you? Yeah, okay. At seven <laughs> years old, they would not have Okay, me. yeah, who was it? Who would have been the original? Even at uh, my advanced age now, I would not be the Million Dollar Man. It was Rick Flair. That yeah, was- that does not surprise me at all. I get total, that makes total sense, actually. Complete, right? But, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, he was at the time uh, in, in NWA's becoming WCW. Yeah. He was not a WWE guy. And Ted DiBiase was born to play that role. So I love that kind of stuff on how that comes together. Don, how how do you leave? So being great in this world and being in our fantasy land, all our wrestling fans, you got to experience music, wrestling. How do you leave the world of wrestling? They left me actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh. they left me. Wow, oh, you're um, amazing. I, I actually, I don't know. I was never actually given a real reason for my exit. I have my suspicions that I'll keep to myself, but I don't actually. But you know, now that Hunter's taken over, maybe there's a phone call, Don. Maybe yeah, we'll get you I don't back. Think so. I, think, I think my days of that are past. And they don't even have an office in Canada anymore, I don't think. I know they closed so. WWE uh, Niagara Falls. You know, oh, yo, God, no. <laughs> but I mean, here's the thing about wrestling is, I mean, honestly, I was kind of getting to the point where it was time to go anyway, because for the first few years, I was there for just over three years and it was really fun and it was interesting and it was cool and it was different because it was all a brand new world to me. And I went from working with music to working with albums and books and pay-per-views and TV shows and, you know, toys and like promoting all kinds of different things. Right. So it opened up whole new worlds to me. I mean, I had media outlets cover wrestling that you never would have expected covering wrestling. Like I got the global mail to do a piece about wrestling. I had, we, the, the weather channel did a feature on us one day when we were doing an outdoor we we're supposed to do an outdoor press conference in front of the ACC for SummerSlam. And because of thunderstorms in the area, we had to move it inside. Somehow or another, the weather network heard about this because we had this big scaffolding set stage set up yes. and we, we couldn't do it. And they came and did a piece on us. It was like, wow, this is cool, right? But eventually at the end of the day, after a while, it came down to, okay, it's all just wrestling. And you, I sort of had tapped the well as much as I could. And it, that's not to say that there weren't people who regularly covered wrestling who were amazing people. There's an amazing network of media outlets in this country, writers and TV guys and podcasts. Well, then they were just radio shows. Now they'd be podcasters who all loved and loved wrestling. Um, but it got to the point where it was like, okay, I don't know what else I can do with this anyway. And there was just, it was just time to go. There were, there were as much fun as it was. There were a lot of politics in the company and it was sort of like, I think it's time for me to move on. They were wanting me to do a lot more things that I wasn't really interested in doing. Like they were doing a lot of global expansion and I wasn't interested in being part of that. So just different things that it was time for me to go. You never had that inkling to go to the uh, performance center and uh, grab a pair of tights and uh, try your hand at it? No, no. Although I did walk into a door in a hotel room once in Anaheim when I was down there for a show and had a big black eye the whole week I was there and everybody was like, oh, Don took a bump. I'm like, yeah, Don took a bump. All right. <laughs> Off the door. <laughs> so I got to ask you now, when uh, you look at, 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 at your life journey and your chosen life and sitting now in real estate, you know, after experiencing Ric Flair and experiencing Molly Crew and Celine and Katy Perry, Working with David Corman, the chosen lawyers, working with realtors, working with uh, purchasers and sellers of real estate. Are we anywhere close? <laughs> it's funny because when I first started working in real estate, there was a couple of girls at the company who were like, we got to watch out for some of the egos around here. And I'm like, really? 
I've had Vince McMahon yell at me, okay? I've, like, worked with Puff Daddy. Like, seriously? No, you don't know egos. <laughs> Correct. Not even close in the world of Not even close. Vince did yell at me one night. Vince yelled at me. We were doing a red carpet event in Anaheim, and we were running behind schedule. And when he got out of his car, he yelled at me. And I don't think Vince knew me from a hole in the wall, but I was the person who was in front of him wearing a WWE badge. So he just kind of like went off about why are we behind schedule and blah, and this is unacceptable and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, Vince, your first interview is here. I just like completely redirected him into what he needed to be doing. And all night, people from the American company were like, oh my God, he yelled at you. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, he just yelled at me. It's fine. He didn't fire me or anything. I'm good. It's fine. Right? <laughs> He's the kind of person I understood that when he took meetings, that, that that's the folklore of him. You got 30 seconds if you're lucky. He's like, okay, I don't know you. Yeah. I don't know what you want. 30 seconds. Go. And then he cut you off right at the 32nd mark. And that's it. Now you're not getting another chance. With the yeah. Guy. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, like I said, I, I would bet my life on this. He wasn't mad at me. It wasn't my personal Don's fault that we were running behind schedule. He just needed to vent this out before he went and spoke to a camera. Because right? Don, Don, we live in Vincent Man's world. That's exactly. why. Because it's Vincent Man's <laughs> world. We're just lucky enough to be there. That's what exactly. he thinks in his mind, for sure. And Vince, if you're hearing this, please do not come back. You did a lot for wrestling with ruthless aggression and everything else, but let Paul Levesque please continue. Let your legend drive. live. Just let your legend be. Yeah. And yeah, Paul, sure. Paul, if you're listening, talk to Dawn, you know, maybe part-time she'll want to come back and maybe she wants to keep the fun times going with Ric Flair in wrestling. So, <laughs> but, but also there's this, uh, in, in real estate now. So real it, at century 21 now it's been, uh, six years plus six years. Yeah. Six years. Dawn, yeah. seriously. Like, you're you're when you're in, in a thing you're in a thing that's it i have like, a thing yeah i don't jump yeah. around I'm, I, I'm i'm in a thing i stay with the thing yeah for sure yeah. um i actually i took a couple of years well after wrestling i went back to music and i went so i was with emi music for a few years right and then um after that emi was sold to universal music and after that i kind of took some time off and just sort of tried to figure out what i wanted to do with the rest of my life i was in my mid-40s um, by this point, I had two children, um, you know, two children married. I live in the suburbs and it's like, OK, I don't want to do the late nights and the traveling and all that anymore because it's exhausting. Right. It's a lot, especially like WWE. I was never home for more than two weeks at a time. I, 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 I asked in the interview, is there a lot of traveling? Yeah, there's a bit. Yeah, I was gone all the time and um, it gets to be a lot. So I sat back and thought, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? What are things that I'm interested in? And I was always interested in real estate, but I want to be a real estate agent. You know, I was like, okay, it's a big industry. There's got to be other things I can do in this industry. So I reached out to the, you know, 400 real estate agent friends I actually already had on Facebook and said, what can I do? And a few of them came back and recommended that I speak to somebody who works at Century 21 Leading Edge, which I did. And he actually hired me to work at the front desk of one of the offices. And I mean, easy peasy work, close to home, you know, I like good hours. I can wear nice clothes. It's close to home, a variety of people, a new challenge, new things to learn. And after I've been doing that for a few months, um, our broker of record, and, and okay, let me back up a little bit. The brokerage that I work for is actually the biggest Century 21 Canada brokerage 
or Century 21 brokerage in Canada. And we had at the time over 700 agents. We have now over 900 agents and we're big. We have multiple offices. And so when you have a company that big, you've got a lot of things going on. And so our broker of record was looking for somebody to sort of take care of some special projects. And I came to his attention. So I just sort of slid into that role. So started working on different projects, sort of started taking over our event planning because obviously I have a lot of that in my background. That was a great gala um, you hosted the other night, by the way. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you. Glad and, you were there. Seven, Glad you were had a great time. Thank you. Excellent. Um, yeah. So event planning and a lot of our training and setting up our trainers and things like that. And I just sort of started looking around and seeing, hey, we should be doing that. Why isn't so? Okay, I'll just do that. You know? <laughs> so I just sort of started to do things that I saw that needed to be done. And it's it's great because real estate agents as a whole are interesting and fun and outgoing and entrepreneurial people. Right. And those are the types of personalities that I tend to be drawn to. And I yeah, I, it's a weird little way I got here, but it's great. I'm really enjoying it. Don, I got to ask you, as we sum up today's episodes, you've given us so much great information and great stories. And it's so great to see, you know, when a person lives their chosen life, you live chosen lives already. Yeah. Like you, you've got to live many lives. And I know there's a lot of viewers going to be listening, especially the young young professionals out there. And I would take specifically, you know, the, the young women, the young ladies out there saying, watching you and saying, You've done things that I can imagine, but not something I traditionally would think of necessarily as a woman. And you broke barriers and you did things and you didn't care and you tried different things. To so those young ladies out there, you know, charting out their career courses, figuring things out, what advice could you give them today? Um, Based on your follow experiences. Follow your heart. That sounds so cheesy, but it's true. Follow your heart. Don't be afraid to take risks and don't be afraid to listen to what other people see in you. Like I said, when I started doing PR, it wasn't something that I ever thought I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a marketing manager and somebody else saw in me that, Hey, we think you'd be good at this. Try it. And then the same thing with going to WWE, that was never like part of my life plan, but somebody else went, we think you'll be good at this. Come try it. So when other people point out sort of parts of your personality or attributes that you have that maybe you haven't paid attention to yourself, listen to them, listen to them because they're seeing something shining in you, right? So take advantage of those opportunities. I love that. And I can tell you, you know, my professional... I, I always say that when you're viewing something and you're hearing somebody telling their story, we can't help but reflect within ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. and think about where we went and, you know, are we happy with our course or not? And I know I do that as anybody else would do watching, listening to your story. When I hear your path and what you've achieved and where you're at, I tell myself, I'm really glad, you know, I look at myself and I'm like, I'm glad you took risks in life. I'm glad that you followed your heart. You don't want to ever have that. What if regret, if stuff came up, it was interesting. Maybe it was outside of your wheelhouse, outside of your comfort level. Grew it. Let's try it. And I love that you did that. I love that you inspired me to say, you know what? I'm glad I followed my course. And for everybody else listening, you know, you live your life. Go live that chosen life. Go take the bull by the horn. Don't be afraid yeah. to do it. And you never know what excitement will come from it. I mean, hey, listen, music industry, wrestling industry, real estate, you never know where life will go. Right, Don? No. Yeah, I know. You never know. Like if you had told me when I was 15 that this is where my life would be, uh, never would have believed you, but I wouldn't trade the experiences I've had for the last like 35 years for anything. Well, we're going to be giving your contact information with this episode and highly ask everybody to hit the subscribe button, notification bell, and send in your questions for Dawn on her experiences or general career questions. Dawn is very engaging. 
and is uh you know enjoys working with people and you know david corman was 100 percent right about you <laughs> awesome personality and an awesome person and oh, i'm re- i'm really glad he connected us and i feel like i have a new bff so uh you know Me too. this has been lots of fun <laughs> unlike unlike rick flair and molly crew don't lose my number we can send each other christmas cards we can have dinner and <laughs> It's all gravy, dog. Hey, maybe I'll go to Raw with you the next time they come to town, just for old time's sake. <laughs> well, you well, you just missed. We had Raw not that long ago. AW was in town a few weeks ago. They just had the Christmas special for uh, the uh, in in town. So I'm gonna keep my eyes open for us. And uh, next time we're getting tickets, I'm giving Don Pappas a call. We're gonna go and uh, cool. you, maybe maybe you'll come say hello to a few old friends out there. Excellent. That sounds like fun. Wonderful. Well, wishing you a great 2023, Dawn, and an amazing year up ahead with your life journey. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. This has been amazing. And we look back to having you back because we barely touched the surface. There's so many questions (laughs) I wanted to ask you. But when you live such an interesting life, Dawn, uh, we'll have to go back and revisit again in the future. Absolutely. Anytime. I'm open, completely open to that. (laughs) Okay. You're all witnesses. She'll be back. And as we sum up our, our episodes, we always pull out our guns. And we say, keep living the chosen life. Keep living the chosen life.